Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. So the message is called Hope for the Hopeless, and I want to start out by asking some of you today, I wonder how many of you have just started binge-watching shows because it was recommended to you by a friend? By a show of hands, how many of you have done that? There's a few of us in there. The rest of you, apparently you don't have good friends because they're not telling you about good shows, but... Um, but most likely you've started binge watching a show because a friend has recommended it to you. And if you're like me, you're kind of a few episodes in and you just get a little bored. You're like, what's going on here? Am I missing something? Am I just dumb? Do my friends have a more sophisticated entertainment palette than I do? Like what's going on here? You're like a few episodes in and you're going, how are things going to turn out well in this? You know, they've got this character over here. They've got these loose ends. I don't know what's happening, how they're going to tie it all together, but you keep watching because you keep holding out hope that somehow it's all going to turn out well. I did a little research on some shows that did not turn out well. You might be familiar with some of these. There's a long list of them. Uh, The first one I don't necessarily recommend, but it's one that you might have seen. It's The Sopranos. And maybe for you, that was your show in the mid-2000s, and you were faithful to watch that. And you watched it every Sunday night, and you were there, and then you were, fi- you were so excited about the series finale, and you watched. And there he is, Tony, in the diner, eating dinner with his family, and the, the song Don't Stop Believing by Journey is on. And you're like, this is such a great ending to the episode. And then all of a sudden, a guy comes in with a gun, and you're like, are they going to shoot Tony? Is he going to live? Like, is, is Tony going to shoot this guy? And then the screen goes black. And words start scrolling up, and you're like, that's the worst ending ever. Or maybe for you, you're a Seinfeld fan. I'm a Seinfeld fan. I love the show. And so maybe for you, you've binge-watched Seinfeld, and you've been watching it, and you're so, you're anticipating the last episode. I remember with a VCR recording the last episode of Seinfeld. And for those of you who don't know what a VCR is, we'll talk later, okay? But... (laughs) Uh, I remember literally recording because I was like, this is going to be the best, only to find out, oh, they're in a jail cell. That's how they choose to end this series. And I would say it was a brilliant ending. And if any of you want to talk about it later, I'm available. I'll debate you on why that is one of the better endings of any kind of TV show. But a lot of us, we were disappointed in that. Or maybe for you, it's this show. It's permanently scarred you. You never want, you, ne- you don't have faith in TV shows anymore. You're like, this is it. I'm done with it. And it's the TV show Lost. And you're like, this is the worst ever. See? <laughs> it is. You're like, you're watching and you're holding out hope because you're like, somehow this is all going to tie together. It's all going to work out. And then you're watching, you're watching. I'm like, I feel more lost than ever before, but you keep watching and watching. And then you finally watch the last episode and you're like, they were dead the whole time? Like, what are you talking about? This is the worst. Now, here's the thing. I don't want to hear it. The statue of limitations of spoiler alerts is over. These shows are old and I don't want to hear, oh, I was so going to binge watch this this weekend. No, you weren't, okay? Like, this has been a long time coming. So, and if anything, talk to a Lost fan. I've probably saved you days and hours of your life just to tell you that. So... Anyways, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. But (laughs) I say all of that to say this, that life can feel like that too, right? 
There are times that we're living our life and we're holding out hope and we're like, God, I don't know how you're going to use this. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know that there's going to be any good in this situation. And we keep holding out hope and we're holding on to that somehow God is going to work everything together for good. But in the middle of it, we can find ourselves in a hopeless situation. There's times where we feel like there is no positive outcome. We feel like we're at the end of our rope. And there's lots of things that can bring us to this point of hopelessness. There can be the loss of a job. It could be the death of a family member or friend. It could be a chronic illness. It could be a marriage that's on the brink of a divorce. It could be the fact that your kids have been running for Jesus, from Jesus and you're praying that they would come back to Jesus and you're praying and you're praying. And every time you feel like you're praying a little bit more, they feel a little further away, but you're holding out hope that they will come to Jesus. Or maybe you're here today and it's just the outcome of the election. And you're like, this is crazy. I don't even know what's happening. And maybe you're here today because your candidate hasn't won or maybe won't win. I don't know what's happening right now, but you're, you're just feeling hopeless right now. And you're worried about the future and the direction of our country. And maybe you're here today and you are, you're like, 2020 feels like the year of hopelessness. Like there has been no hope and you've lost all confidence in the future. And you have no confidence that things are going to work out moving forward. Maybe you're here today and you've looked everywhere and you've done everything you possibly can, but you still feel hopelessness in your life. I know for others of you, you're in this room today and you're here and everything is just fine. You've got job security. You've got money coming in. You're not really too worried about the country. Your candidate might be the one winning or might win. I don't know, the, I don't know the last time the media has just declared the winner, so it's just a, you know, one of those weird situations. But wherever you find yourself today, my goal is for us to understand and believe that hope can be found in the power of Jesus. Because here's the reality for all of us. There will be times in your life where you will have mountain highs. Things are going really well. You're on top of the world. The bad news is, you will eventually have the valley lows. And if you're here today and you have the valley lows, the good news is you'll eventually have the mountaintops. That's just how life works. And so wherever you're at today, my goal is to help us trust the power of Jesus to bring us through whatever we're going to face. And today we're going to learn from a couple of individuals who find themselves in what seems to be extremely desperate circumstances but because they trusted in the power of Jesus, they found hope in their hopeless situation. So Matthew chapter nine, starting in verse 18, it says, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt down before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him and the disciples and behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she, for she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. But they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and he took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went throughout all the district. 
after reading this, a lot of us can identify and understand and maybe even sympathize with what our two characters in this story, the ruler and the woman with the discharge of blood, we can um, sympathize with what those two are going through because we have either gone through a circumstance where we felt like we were in a crisis or we currently are in a crisis. And what Matthew wants to make very clear in our text today is that hope for these individuals and hope for us in our hopeless situation, is only found in the power of Jesus. But what is hope? Because we use that word a lot, right? We throw that around a lot. We say, well, you know what? I hope that the lights stay green because I'm running late to church today, or I hope the lights stay green because I'm running late for work, and we have a hope for that. Or you might be here today, and you're like, I hope the Titans win today, and I only pick the Titans because we live in Tennessee, all right? So I'm not team bias or anything, but insert your favorite team there. And you're like, I really hope they win this weekend. But is it really hope or is it just our desire that the lights stay green or that our favorite team wins the game? Because here's the mistake we make. We use the word hope to convey a desire that we have for something to happen, but we're really not confident that it's going to happen. We say things like, well, I want my team to really win, but if I'm being honest right now, they've got this team coming up and they're doing really well and I don't like the schedule that's going on over here. Things aren't gonna look really well. But hope in the Bible is characterized by certainty. Hope is being confident that the power of God is going to get you through whatever you're facing. We don't say that we hope that Jesus comes back like he might not come back. No, we're confident in it, that it's gonna happen. We say that our hope is in the return of Jesus. We should be confident in the power of God and we should expect him to work. But the problem, that's where the problem lies for many of us. We're not confident in the power of Jesus. In whatever situation that you're facing today, if you're not confident that God is going to act graciously and powerfully on your behalf, then you don't have hope. So how do we get hope? How do we have hope in our hopeless situations? Well, this story, I think, shows us three things, and the first one is this. Hope is found in hopeless situations when we come to Jesus. Look again at verse 18. It says, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt down before him. Now, in Matthew's gospel, we don't get his name, but if you look in Mark and Luke's gospel, they have the same story. And uh, what we get to know his name, and his name is Jairus. And Jairus was kind of a big deal. Like he was a man of reputation in his community because he was a leader in the local synagogue. And the local synagogue was a place of worship where teachings were had, where tithe was collected, but it was also a community building. It was a place where local administration would happen, hospitality. It's a place where disputes would be settled. And Jairus was a leader in the local synagogue. And because of that, he was a a really well-respected man in the community. He was looked up to and he was relied on by the people. But in the midst of his hopeless situation, he comes to Jesus. And that's our first character. The second one is in verse 20 and says this, and behold, a woman who had been who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him. Now, this woman, she is unnamed, but she's also very well known in her community as well, but for different reasons. Most commentators say that this discharge of blood that she's suffering from is her never-ending menstrual cycle. And that's not the only reason, that's not the reason for her desperation in coming to Jesus, though. Although her situation was very painful and was very real, It was more her isolation that drove her to Jesus because this blood disorder made her a social outcast. 
And according to the Levitical law, this made her unclean. And what that means is that everything she touched became unclean. And so if a person was unclean, according to the law, they had to go and purchase some turtle doves and some pigeons, and they had to bring it to the priest for a sacrifice to be made. And so this blood disorder cost her time and it cost her money. And so you could imagine that nobody wanted anything to do with this woman. She wasn't allowed to go worship in the synagogue. She wasn't allowed to go work. Nobody was calling her up for lunch to hang out with her. She didn't really have friends. If she was married, she most likely was divorced. If she wasn't ever married, she probably never, she would never have actually the, the prospect of having a husband because she was unclean. She was alone and she was shunned for the last 12 years of her life. Both of these people, although very different, come to Jesus. And here's the point for us today. Jesus desires for all people to come to him. He doesn't care where you are in life. He doesn't care about your age or what you do for a living. He doesn't care if you have it all together, or if your life is falling all to pieces. He doesn't care if you're a Republican, a Democrat, an independent. He just wants people to come to him. And I don't know the specifics of your circumstance today and what hopeless situation you might find yourself in today, but the Bible makes it clear, and this passage in particularly makes it very clear to us that there is hope for whatever you're facing, and that hope is only found in Jesus. God cares for you, and God loves you. I love what Isaiah 41, 13 says. It says, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says, Do not fear, I will help you. In hopeless situations, we are so quick to turn and try everything else first. We're so quick to see what someone else has to say. We're so quick to hop on Amazon and find what the next best-selling author has to say because we're looking for something to put our hope in. We're looking for something to put our confidence in. And these individuals in Matthew 9, they did the same thing before they came to Jesus. In Mark and Luke's account of this story, they make it clear that this woman went and visited doctors to see if she could get a cure for what's, what's going on with her. And yet her condition kept getting worse and worse. And I think it's pretty safe to say that Jairus also, because he was a man of good reputation and he had some money, it's pretty safe to say too that he also was looking for a cure for his daughter as well. But when you read the story, whether in Matthew, Mark, or Luke's account, you never once hear a condemning thought or a condemning word about them going to a doctor because that's what you should do. Because Jesus may use a doctor to heal. But here's the bigger point that I want to bring to you guys today, and that is this. We don't put our hope in the method that God may use, but in the power of God himself. If you're putting your hope in your solutions, in your plans, in how you think things should work out, and things completely fall apart, you're going to be disappointed and you're going to feel hopeless. But today, if you are confident, if your hope is in Jesus, when things don't work out, you can keep going because your confidence isn't in the method, it's in the power of God. Jesus doesn't care who you are or what you're facing. He is sufficient for whatever situation you're coming in and whatever situation you're in. But I want you to notice the posture of these two individuals here in uh, Matthew chapter 9, because I think it's important for us to remember as we come to Jesus that we need to come to him humbly and sincerely. 
Verse 18, Jairus approaches Jesus and he falls down to his knees at the feet of Jesus. Notice this ruler doesn't come in uh, to Jesus and be like, hey, Jesus, do you know who I am? Like, I'm kind of a big deal in this community. Like, you know, I'm kind of a big deal. I'm a ruler in the synagogue. Like, hey, Jesus, can you do something for me? He puts, he doesn't demand that Jesus heal his daughter. He doesn't use his, his position and his authority to command Jesus to do something. He puts aside all of that. He puts aside his position, his titles, who he is, and he comes to Jesus humbly and sincerely. And just as a frame of reference for you as well, at this point in time, Jesus's ministry and, the, and a lot of things and, and hostility towards it has really started to climb at this point. And there are debates in the synagogue about who Jesus is and what to do with Jesus. And Jairus is most likely at the center of all of those debates. He's the one probably having those conversations of what are we going to do with Jesus? How are we going to deal with him? What happens if he does this? And now he's approaching Jesus, not as the doctor for a cure, but as the Messiah who will heal. I imagine that there were some in the crowd who couldn't believe what Jairus was doing. I feel like there could have been some people saying, wait, is that Jairus going to Jesus? Like they might've even had a little Southern accent. Is that Jairus going to Jesus over there? You know, they're like, I can't believe he's doing that. But I want you to notice in the text, it doesn't say that Jairus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night so no one sees him. It doesn't say that Jairus has a hoodie over his head or that his hand is like on his forehead going, I hope nobody sees me right now. No, he doesn't care. He doesn't care what it might do to his reputation if he comes to Jesus. He doesn't care that he might lose his position in the synagogue or in the community. His desperation drove him to fall on his knees before the only person that could help him because his hope and confidence were found in Jesus healing his daughter. This woman also comes humbly and sincerely as well. She doesn't charge into the crowd. She doesn't come complaining to Jesus how she's been a victim about how people have treated her over the last 12 years of her life. She doesn't approach Jesus with loathing and self-pity. It says in verse 20 that she comes up behind Jesus and just touches the fringe of his garment. She didn't really want people to see her. She didn't want people to make a fuss. She didn't want to bring attention to herself. She's been cowering in the shadows for the last 12 years of her life. She's been looking at things from afar, never being able to participate. And yet I can imagine her walking through the streets, trying to stay off to the side, making sure to not touch anything or anyone and seeing Jesus walk. And as she's seeing Jesus, she's trying to get ahead of Jesus a little bit. And she gets there, making sure she's not touching anyone. And then she crouches down on her hands and knees and weaves in between the people, trying not to touch them. And then just as Jesus is walking by, she reaches out and touches the fringe of his garment. Both of these people cared about one thing, and that was seeing the power of Jesus work in their lives. And they come humbly and sincerely. To find hope in your hopeless situation, are you willing to just fall down on your hands and knees at the feet of Jesus? Are you willing to toss aside your titles and who you are and your identity and say, God, whatever I'm facing today in my hopeless situation, you are my hope. My hope is not in the method that you may use, but in the power of yourself. And I know that it will be sufficient for me. Here's the second thing I see in this story, and that is hope is found in hopeless situations when we believe in Jesus. Verse 18 says, my daughter has just, Jairus says to Jesus, my daughter has just died, but come lay your hand on her and she will live. Now notice Jairus doesn't approach Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, 
My daughter's just died, and you know, I've heard some rumors about you. I've, I've heard some things about how you can bring healing and how, you, how you've helped the deaf hear and the blind see. You know, I heard you turned water into wine, and so you, know, you kind of have a reputation, Jesus. And I'm just wondering, you know, my daughter's dead. If there's something you can do, if, if my house is on the way. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't approach Jesus with skepticism or unbelief. He's hopeful because he truly believes in the power of Jesus in his time of need. But this woman also believes. In fact, I would say she might have even more faith than Jairus. Look at verse 20. It says that she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Look at the belief that she has in Jesus. I only need to touch his clothes and I know that I'm going to be healed. There's no doubt in her mind that Jesus can heal her. And here's something we could get confused. We might think, well, yeah, it's Jesus. Whatever he put on probably had powers flowing from it. Like that would be really awesome. And anybody who probably just came in contact with Jesus were healed or something miraculous happened. No, because look at verse 22. It says, and Jesus turned and seeing her said, take heart, daughter, your faith, circle, underline, your faith has made you well. It wasn't the touching of the clothes that made her well. It was her faith that she had in Jesus. Hope is found in believing. You have to believe that Jesus is sufficient for whatever situation you're in. You have to believe that God will change the heart of that son or daughter. You have to believe that Jesus can save your marriage, that he can provide that job, that he will supply all of your needs. You have to believe that no matter who sits in the White House, that Jesus, long before there were kings and rulers and presidents, Jesus spoke and the earth was made. And he holds the world in the palm of his hand. And so ultimately, he's in control. Where is your belief today? All of us say we believe, but does your heart and life truly reflect that belief? If you're consumed with self-pity, you don't believe that Jesus is enough. If you're constantly complaining about your situation, then you don't believe that Jesus is going to get you through whatever you're facing. Because if you truly believe when fear and worry set in, it won't overwhelm you because your hope isn't in how things are going to work out, but who's going to work those things out. I hope that you see the confidence these two people have in the power of Jesus. And I think that's what a lot of us are missing. Some people come to Jesus believing and others come to Jesus with skepticism. I wonder how many people that had diseases just tried to touch Jesus's garment, but they weren't healed because they're like, you know what? I've heard some things about Jesus, but you know, I've got this disease. Let me just see if I touch his clothes and they go over and they touch his clothes and they're like, see, not healed. Told you it wouldn't work. Some people don't experience the power of God working in their lives because they really don't believe that he will. Believing in the power of God means that you're letting go of your timetables, you're letting go of your solutions, you're letting go of all of your plans and being confident that God has your best in mind. And trust me when I say this, it will be a thousand times better than anything you and I could ever imagine. Many times people just want to try out Jesus. They want to see if he's for real. I've talked to people who've based their Jesus experience on how things turned out or how they think they should have turned out. I've met with people who are like, hey, can we meet because my marriage is falling apart and we've tried everything else and we're just going to give this Jesus thing a shot. 
And so a month goes by and we're walking through it and we're talking about things and we're walking through it with them and they're told to do some things they didn't really fit into their plans or they're asked to do some things that they didn't really want to do and they're looking for a quick fix. And so when Jesus, this Jesus thing isn't working out like they, they thought it should have, they're like, I'm out of here. I'm mad at God for doing something they never believed he would do anyways. See, Jairus and this woman strongly believe in Jesus. In fact, in Mark's gospel, it says this, that the woman only heard about Jesus. So she's never even seen Jesus do miracles before. She's never actually seen him do anything, but she's heard about the power that Jesus has and how he can bring healing and hope. And that's where her confidence is. She knew so little about Jesus, yet her faith was so big. And this should challenge us today because we know so much about Jesus. We have our Bibles here in lots of different forms. We have it on our phones in many different translations. We have commentators to help us understand the Bible just a little bit more. So we, and plus we're in America, there's church every Sunday, so we can freely come to church. We have the ability to know so much. We do know so much about Jesus, yet we have such little faith. Our belief shouldn't be how great Our belief should be so great that we know that only a touch from Jesus could transform our lives. I wonder how many of us here believe that, that a touch from Jesus could transform our lives. The reality is there will be some who will believe that and others who won't. In fact, in verse 23, we see that played out here. It says, and when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away for the girl is not dead, but sleeping and they laughed at him. There will always be those who refuse to believe in the power of Jesus. And you might be thinking, well, why do they have this great crowd and flute players? Like, that's a little weird right now. Like, what's going on? Well, it was customary in this time that if somebody died, you would hire professional mourners. And so whether you were rich or poor, you had professional mourners come in and mourn the loss of your dead. And so because Jairus was a man with money and great reputation, you knew that this had to be a commotion. This was a great, uh, great amount of people and probably chaotic music happening all over the place. But when Jesus arrives, everyone knows why he's there. They too have heard reports about Jesus and his healings, but they don't believe that Jesus can do what he's coming to do. And when Jesus tells them, leave, because this girl isn't dead, but sleeping, they laugh at him. And their laughter not only reveals the nature of their heart, but the greatness of the miracle that's about to happen. They're laughing at the ridiculousness that Jesus could do anything to change this girl's situation. And I like to think that, you know, like we read it here, Jesus heals her. And I like to think if I were Jesus, I'd probably mic drop it, walking out with this little girl. Like, where are you laughing now, right? Like, that's, that's kind of just my thought. But here's the thing. Her death, though very real, was not permanent. Our world today laughs at the absurdity that we are dead in our sins and that Jesus is the only one who could save us, that he's the only way to salvation. And the world would laugh at us. The world would laugh at us when we find ourselves in hopeless situations and we say, Jesus is my only hope. They laugh at us. You will find hope in your hopeless situations when you believe in Jesus. And here's the last thing. Hope is found in hopeless situations when you rest in Jesus. And I want to give you two ways that you can rest in Jesus today. And the first one is rest in his timing. Jairus approaches Jesus. And the only thing left for him to do is just wait on Jesus. 
And I can imagine how hard that was for Jairus to just wait on Jesus. And so then Jesus and Jairus are on their way to his house, and this woman comes in, and she interrupts their traveling. And it would have been real easy for Jairus to say, hey, lady, leave us alone. We've got places to go and people to heal. Like, we've got to get going. Hey, Jesus, could you make these crowds go away? Could you thin them out? Hey, Jesus, that's enough chit-chat. We've got to keep going. Like, we've got a healing to go to. And it would have been really easy for this woman suffering with this blood disorder for 12 years. She certainly could have been asking Jesus, hey, why did you make me wait so long for a healing? Why did I have to endure these trials? When we find ourselves in what seems to be hopeless situations, we need to understand that God sometimes puts us in different positions and places places to grow our faith in him. It took 12 years for her to get to the point where she had complete confidence in the healing of God. And sometimes our situations and places and positions, God allows them to continue for a long time until we ultimately arrive at this desperate need. But when we arrive at this desperate need, we arrive there with great faith. God gives us the gift of tragedy to grow our faith. And sometimes he prolongs our trials so that we can draw closer to him. But ultimately what we need to do is we need to rest in him, rest in his timing And here's the second thing. We need to rest in his gentleness. Verse 22, I've been saying this woman doesn't have a name, but Jesus does give her a name. He calls her daughter. And this is a term of endearment. This recognition says to her that you're not an outcast anymore. You're not alone. You're not degraded. You're not forsaken. You're a daughter to me. Your isolation is over. The pain is gone. The torment of others has ended. Listen, Jesus is gonna bring peace in your life. It may just not be the way that you think or the way you think it should happen, but you are his son and you are his daughter and he cares for you and he loves you and he will bring peace into your life in whatever situation you're facing and you need to rest in his gentleness. Today, maybe you just feel like you're at the end of your rope. You feel like you've lost all hopelessness. You feel hopeless in your situation. Maybe your life feels like one of those TV shows that we talked about earlier. You're living your life wondering, how is God gonna make this work for good? I don't know what's gonna happen. God, I have some loose ends right now. I feel like I'm in a valley. How are you gonna work this out? I'm in a bad situation right now. But listen, Jesus isn't done writing the story of your life. He has a plan and a purpose for everything that you're gonna go through. If you're here today and you find yourself in a hopeless situation, just know that sometimes we find ourselves in hopeless situations or in a crisis so that we can find Christ. And my prayer for you today is that whatever you're facing, maybe it's a financial loss, maybe it's the loss of a job, maybe it's your marriage, or maybe it's just the status of our country, that whatever hopeless situation that you find yourself in today, that you would find peace, that you would find strength, that you would find comfort, and you would find hope in Jesus. Or maybe you're here today and everything in your life is just fine. And maybe you're not in a physical crisis, but I'm gonna tell you right now, you're in a spiritual crisis. Ephesians tells us that we are the object of God's wrath because of our sins. And so today, if you are far from Christ, you are in a hopeless situation today. 
But there is hope in that hopeless situation. And that hope is found in Jesus because he came to this earth and he lived the life that we couldn't live. And he died on the cross and he rose again to give us eternal life. And if we turn from our sins and ask for forgiveness, the Bible tells us that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've never experienced Jesus, if you've never put your faith in him, if you've never had peace, then today I want to give you an opportunity to come to him. Listen, all your problems aren't going to go away. It's all not going to be rainbows and sunshines and butterflies. But the reality is we'll still have the valley lows. But the good news is that Jesus, just like Isaiah says, will take you by the hand and go with you. And if you're in a spiritual crisis today, just like how Jesus raised the Jairus' daughter to life, he can raise you to new life as well. And true and lasting hope can only be found in Jesus. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.